Now, what I'm getting ready to say uh, might surprise you just a little bit. It might not. But as I have grown up in and around church, um, I have had periods of my life where I have looked at everything and I've been like, is this for real? I mean, is this really for real? I mean, all these things that I have been taught every single Sunday as a child and as a teenager and as an adult, are these things for real? Do I really believe this? Because, you know, I've never met God face to face. Not really. I mean, I I bet you haven't either. I've never heard God's voice audibly. I've never heard the voice of God speak and say, this is my son. I've never heard that. I've never seen that. I've, I've never seen the type of miracle that we're like, someone maybe has been dead for three or four days, walk out of the funeral home. I've never seen that. I've never seen that scale of things. And so I, I'm just trying to be honest and, and transparent. I have had moments in my life where I have doubted. Don't we all at some point, at some time, don't we all just wonder? We think we know some things, you know, and we want to know for sure. We think we do. We want to know for certain We try to know, we work hard at knowing, but do we really know? Because we still have questions like this saying, well, is this for all real? And then we ask ourselves, can we actually ever even really know this? Now, I know what the churchy answer is. In fact, I bet you do too. You know the drill. Here's how it goes. Um, There's even songs about it. Um, uh, Back in the 80s when I grew up, there was a very popular song about this. Um, And and so here's the churchy answer. I need you to help me out. You just got to have... Yeah, right. Yeah, you've heard it too. Uh, Your mama probably talked about it. Your, Your preacher probably talked about it. And we know it's there in the Bible somewhere, right? We know that it says, we're so we're pretty sure that is the answer. But we still have questions. We still have doubts. And we know at some point it all does come down to faith because we understand as we look in Scripture that it was by faith that Noah built that boat. It was by faith that Abraham, Abraham left his family. When you didn't used to leave your family, he left his family, went to another land, and he was even willing to sacrifice his son. It was by faith that the parents of Moses stuck him in a basket and pushed him off into a crocodile-filled river. It was by faith that Rahab was was even saved at all and not destroyed. And don't forget, for us, for all of us, it is by grace that you're saved through faith. So it must be faith. Because 2,000 years ago, when all of this happened with Jesus, I wasn't there and neither were you. I have never heard Jesus personally himself teach on a mountainside. I've never had that privilege and neither have you. And so, yeah, I kind of see the point. Yeah, I know that faith does play a big, significant role in all of these spiritual things. But when I step back and as I look at life, it's not just in spiritual things that we have to have faith. We have faith in every aspect of our lives. Just think about it with me. We can't see the wind. As Billy Graham said, I can't see the wind. You can't see the wind, but you can hear the wind, and you can see the effects of the wind. We can't see the magnetic force, but we know it's there. We can't really see electricity, but when we walk over to the switch and turn it on, it comes on. There's so many things we can't see. But we certainly can see the effects of all of those things every single day as we live. And we can go on and on and on about things that we 
can't see, but we know that they're there and we know that they exist. Because the eye of the mind can make seen as reality those things that cannot be seen by our physical eye of our body. And we live with that tension every single day. And yet we are still here in this state where we still wonder. Haven't you wondered what faith really is? If you're like me, if you were raised in church, then you may have been raised with some idea of faith. And goodness, growing up in church, for me, it was so easy to get kind of a distorted view of faith, at least somewhat distorted. So maybe you grew up with one of what we would call a kind of like faith, where maybe a pastor or teacher tried to help you understand faith and they compared it something like uh, faith is like, and they would fill in the blank. But so often a kind of like faith just led me to a kind of, well, I think so faith. I think it's supposed to be like this. And ultimately it became a faith that was kind of like a a hope-so faith. Well, I hope that this is how it all turns out. I hope that this is how it all actually works. Fingers crossed, I really hope that this is correct, that this is right. And it's kind of scary when I think about it to have a kind of like faith or a hope-so faith. It's kind of unsettling because I think ultimately those kind of faiths, ultimately maybe, maybe they're wrong faith. So I think that we can take our kind of like faith and I think we can take our I hope so faith and maybe we can begin to replace that with a real faith based upon the truth of scripture. And that's exactly what I'm trying to do today, at least begin the process, what Cole is doing today in Stuttgart. Now to do that, if that's what we're going to do, if we're going to base it on Scripture, then we need to jump into Scripture. So we're going to look at several verses of Scripture today, and we're going to start with the ideal faith, and God gives us a picture of that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. In fact, I want to read that to you. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, here's what it says. It says, now faith, so this is what we're talking about. Now faith is being sure, you could underline that, of what we hope for and certain, you could circle that word, being sure and certain of what we do not see. So being sure and being certain. Man, that doesn't sound anything to me like a kind of like faith or like a hope so faith. Sure and certain are not typical words that we use when we talk about faith or we talk about living with faith. And so when we hear the word sure and certain, we might be thinking things like this. Well, Harley, come on. Can you really be sure? I mean, we've spent the past five minutes already, 10 minutes talking about how you have been uncertain at times. Can we be sure? Is there any way we can be certain? Are you kidding me? Are those words that we can actually apply? to faith. Maybe you were taught in kind of a faith that was kind of an ooey, gooey kind of mystical force that would force God into doing whatever it is you wanted him to do. For so many of us, because this is how we were taught, this is how we were under, this is how we understood the word faith, and maybe I could use the word, this is how we misunderstood the word faith. It's like we're all just walking around as Christ followers with sort of 
kind of a hope so type of faith. I mean, we have something and we know something about it and we certainly do believe in something which maybe explains why this is so cloudy, so confusing, and so inconsistent. And ultimately, it's so weak as a faith. Which also could explain why maybe so many people, when their life gets turned upside down, and if that's the kind of faith they have, when their life takes a turn for the worse, maybe that's why their faith doesn't hold up under those tough circumstances. And their faith that they probably carried from childhood into adulthood, it just didn't last. And when Cole and I looked for a word to describe what that feeling was, really the best word that we could come up with is the word defeated. It's living the Christ-following life, feeling defeated. When we attempt to exist in this world with anything other than a real, solid, authentic, genuine faith, eventually we find ourselves defeated. We find ourselves powerless. We find ourselves weak. That's very different from other verses that we read that say that that all things work together for good. But that's not the way it feels when we're defeated. Not the way it feels at all. So I want to share with you a scripture passage today that's going to be our focal passage. And it's a passage out of the Gospel of Mark. Now, the Mark uh, has written a biography of the life of Jesus. And many scholars believe that it's actually Peter's story that he told to Mark, and Mark actually wrote it down. We're not sure about that, but a lot of things point to that as a possibility. And here's where we find uh, in this biography, Jesus, three of his disciples, uh, Peter, James, and John, they come down from a mountain. They come down from a mountain, And there's people all gathered around the base of this mountain with the other disciples who are there. And there's kind of an argument that's in the process of being stirred up. And this is where we pick up this story with this going on. Jesus walks down, and here's what he walks into. Uh, Mark records it. Mark chapter 9, verse 16. What is all of this arguing about, Jesus says, he asks. One of the men, verse 17, one of the men in the crowd spoke up and he said, Teacher, I brought my son to you so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit and he that won't let him talk. And whenever uh, this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth, he grinds his teeth, and he becomes rigid. So I ask your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Now, this is a very challenging piece of scripture. This piece of scripture has been used to teach all kinds of things. We're going to be teaching something very specific today, and I think really it's a big part, a big point of what this passage is about. Now, apparently the disciples had the authority that had been given to them by Jesus to do this very thing, to take that demon and to cast him out. In fact, um, we're told by Peter and Mark 
uh, earlier that they had this. So I want to I just want to read a couple passages. Mark chapter three verse fourteen. Yeah, that's it says then he that's Jesus appointed twelve of them and he called them his apostles. They were to accompany him and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. So they had this authority. Another place, Mark uh, tells us about uh, three chapters later in chapter six. He says and he called his twelve disciples together and he began. Uh, it says. Uh, sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. So this was a power that Jesus gave them specifically to do this thing. And the purpose was really in the process of really making the name of Jesus famous and known throughout the world. And this is what they were doing. They had been given this authority and they had used this authority successfully. But in this case, in this case, they failed. They failed, and I'm sure that they felt defeated. They've been able to do it before, but they couldn't do it here. And to make things worse, these religious snobs who were always kind of following them around, looking for ways that they were failing, saw that they failed, and they used this, these religious pros, these snobs that were making fun of them for not being able to do it now. And because they failed, these snobs were taking the opportunity to say, if you failed, that means Jesus is a fraud. We've heard that before. And I can't help but think that the disciples who were struggling, who were defeated in this moment, were really glad when Jesus showed up coming down the mountain. And I think we can identify with that. I mean, they tried and they failed. How many times in life have I tried and tried and tried anything? And how many times, so often, I have simply failed? And it feels defeating. And sometimes it's just like we're just end up living life, just waiting on Jesus to come down the mountain, waiting on Jesus to get back here so he can fix everything, and we don't have to worry about that anymore. Well, certainly the disciples were glad when Jesus showed up and he came down the mountain to fix all of this. So Mark goes on. He tells us in verse 19, Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long? Must I put up with you? Now, we have no idea, really, if Jesus is talking to the disciples or if he's talking to the crowd or if he's talking to the religious snobs. We don't know, but that's what he said. And he goes on. He said, bring the boy to me. Verse 20 now. So they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. Verse 21, how long, Jesus asked, how long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. Now here comes the part that I really want you to focus on. Verse 22. The father said, the spirit often throws him into the fire, into the water, trying to kill him. And he said this, the father said, have mercy on us and help us if you can. If, Jesus, if you can. And Jesus responds to that statement. And he says this in verse 23, what do you mean? If I can. Jesus asked him clearly. He goes on, Jesus says, anything is possible if a person believes. 
Now, let me jump in here for a moment. You may not be able to relate to the disciples and what was happening as they were trying to minister and and ministry that was authorized by Jesus. You may not be able to relate to that, but I bet most of us, I bet most of us can relate to this boy's father. And the way it might feel for us in looking and approaching God and saying, if you can. God, if you can, you will. And as we look at Jesus' response to this father, how he's gently admonishing this man, something comes into view. This father clearly, this father clearly had some faith. I mean, think about it. This man brought his son all the way from wherever he came when travel was not easy in that day and time. He brought his son from all that distance with all the problems and all the baggage and all the struggles that that son and that father had now because he was with his son. All of that, he brought all of that, all those afflictions in tow to find Jesus. And that alone requires significant faith. And already he got there He saw the disciples fail in this process. And I'm sure that came with some great disappointment. He got there with excitement. He got there with excitement, but he too is now probably feeling defeated that nothing has changed. Because when he got there, his excitement said, hey, where's Jesus? I'm looking for Jesus. He couldn't find Jesus. I'm sure that man had heard that the disciples had done this before, so maybe they could help. I'm sure there was hope, but in this moment, the father has this rebelled. So I kind of understand why the father reacts this way, why the father has this reaction. I understand. Peter lets us know. This man's response. I understand. Is so relatable for us. I don't know about you, but I know for me, I am so acquainted with failure. And immediately the man cries out, and this is what resonates with us. And I just want to say, if you have ever been ashamed of your level of faith, In other words, thinking, oh, I don't have the faith like they do. I don't have the faith like that person. I don't know how they got it, but I don't have it. I don't have that. If you you have ever felt ashamed that you don't understand or, or, or that you doubt things, even after you've said you believe them, things that you truly do believe, but then suddenly you have a moment of doubt. I want you to place yourself in this man's shoes in this moment. Place yourself in this account with Jesus. And the father cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And oh, I have to say, that's me. That's me right there. That's me. This man, this father, is me. 
Jesus, I do believe. That's why I'm here. That's why I have come. That's why I made it here. I do believe. I do have faith. But still, still, even though I have faith, Jesus, sometimes, sometimes I struggle. Sometimes I doubt. It's almost as if he feels ashamed for doubting. You see, this man doesn't deny the power and the promises of Jesus. He actually desires them. He wants them. He's asking for them. He is saying, Jesus, I need you to help me with my unbelief. When we say that, that is something that can only be said by someone who has some faith. That statement can only be made by faith. I I don't agree with everything Charles Spurgeon has taught or said, and he certainly wouldn't agree with everything I've said. There's nobody that would agree with everything that anyone has said. But Charles Spurgeon, I love what he says about this and how he summarizes this. Listen to what he said. He said, while men have no faith, they are unconscious of their unbelief. But as soon as they get a little faith, then then they begin to be conscious of the greatness of their unbelief. And that's a picture of what's happening for that father. As he yells out, as he hollers out, as he pleads, Jesus, help me overcome my unbelief. This man is completely aware of the vastness, the greatness of his unbelief. And when you think about it, think about this with me. Every single generation, even the generation of people that were face-to-face with Jesus, that followed him around from mountainside to mountainside, from seashore to seashore, Even that generation still struggled with. They physically were there. They witnessed this with their own eyes. And even that generation struggled with unbelief. We all have obstacles to our faith. As we think about faith, it's not just a kind of, sort of faith, uh, I hope so faith. There's another kind of faith. It's the kind of faith that we'll call it a Bethlehem star faith. The Bethlehem star faith says, okay, God, listen, I will believe if you prove it to me. If you'll you'll give me the sign that I need, then I'll believe. If you'll you'll take the cancer away from my mom, then I'll believe. Then I'll believe. It's like we're taking off our hoodie fleece and we're tossing it outside and asking God to give us a sign. Here's the kind of faith that maybe a lot of us can relate to. We'll call it the flea market faith, the flea market faith. That's a secondhand, a secondhand faith. I love going to the flea markets. I love it. I love getting me some secondhand stuff. I love getting, finding me some treasures. I love it. It's great for finding treasures and trinkets, but it's not good for finding faith. 
the flea market faith that's handed down from somebody else, something that we don't really experience on our own, something that came from parents alone or grandparents alone. That's not what is going to get us through the tough time. So I, I, we're trying to help encourage us to move towards something that is a little more real, an authentic faith. That's what we want. And we want to help you find that, a growing faith. Hey, the same all, and it isn't simply a faith where we just kind of stay the same all the time. Like we get a little bit of faith and that faith never changes, it never grows, it never gets bigger, it never gets, uh, it never gets tested. It, 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 a faith that never grows Someday we'll turn back and look at it and we'll realize it's a faith that's not going to get me through. So it's something that has to grow and it has to develop. And so if that's what we're going to do, as always, we're going to have to begin here by immersing ourselves into God's Word. And that's our encouragement today. Paul wrote about this faith. I'm going to give you a few verses here very quickly. Paul wrote about this. He says, we need to get God's word, his scriptures inside our hearts and inside our minds. Here's what he said in Romans 10. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing something. And so it's not though just enough to hear that. We have to do something with it. We have to bring that into our lives, and we must then grow that, what we've heard, into an authentic, real faith by acting on God's Word. So we have to bring that Word in, and then we have to do something with it. And that's where usually, if we're going to say that, we almost always jump back to the brother of Jesus in James chapter 2, and listen to what James said, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. In other words, once, that, once we hear it, then we have to do something with it. And that's what James is putting an exclamation point there on. But finally, and maybe most importantly, an authentic faith, not an inherited faith, not a let's make a deal with God faith, an authentic faith becomes real when you see and you recognize the evidence of God's presence in the world around you. See, we are blessed with Scripture. We're blessed with Scripture where we can see God at work in the lives of people in Scripture. But as Cole mentioned here last week, and I mentioned in Stuttgart last week, we also have people around us every day that we can look at and we can say, yeah, yeah, they're proof. They're proof that God is alive, that God is active in lives today. That is when you can look around, when you can look around and see that happening in somebody else's life, that you can look back to the passage we started with in Hebrews, and you can be certain, and you can be sure, not because you hope so, not because you think so. You can be sure because God has given you proof in the lives of the people around you. We can see it there. We can feel it. So in the same way, 
this real faith that we're talking about isn't a blind faith. It isn't a blind faith. It doesn't have to be. Of course, in the Bible, it was by faith that Isaac blessed Jacob. It was by faith that the Israelites passed through the Red Sea on dry ground. It was by faith that the walls of Jericho came down. It was by faith. And, and, but we don't get to talk to Moses, and we don't get to talk to Abraham or Isaac. We don't get to talk to them. But we are surrounded by people here and by people in Stuttgart that we know, we absolutely know they are examples of faith. In Stuttgart, they were here this past weekend, um, last Sunday, they, they were here with the students. Jimmy and Melissa Kaysen, they rebuilt their life after an F5 tornado destroyed their home. Also in Stuttgart, by... By faith, it was Gustavo and Jordan Cortez. He gave his testimony here one Sunday. Gustavo, whose life and marriage and family was completely blown apart by that back. It's by faith that Jesus helped them put that back together. It was by faith that even that, that Cole is even leading in church. Today, while I'm here, Cole is in Stuttgart leading. It's by faith that he's doing that. Cole was, was chewed up and spit out by Christians. It's by faith that he even survived that emotionally and is leading today. It's by faith that, that God has rebuilt my life after a 24-year marriage just collapsed. It's by faith that in this very room that Brandon... And, and, and Cheyenne are rebuilding their lives with Jesus. It's by faith that in this very room that Bridget is overcoming a, a kind of childhood trauma that so many people never recover from. And here's what we can say about that. Go ask them. Go talk to them. And you can ask me and you can ask Cole and we will tell you that God is real, that God is present, and God cares about people today, this day. So you ask us, is faith blind? And we would say no. Because in this very room, there is story after story after story of God moving into the lives of people and turning our lives upside down in a good way. That's what we read about in Scripture as well. And all of those guys, those biographies, all of those eyewitnesses, those accounts, all of those biographies of Jesus, as you look at the beginning of the New Covenant, all of them written by tax collector, by, by, uh, uh, by a couple of fishermen, all of those accounts, all of those accounts, they're writing about things they saw and things they witnessed. And because of that, because of what they wrote down about what they saw and what they witnessed, we can be certain, we can be certain that Jesus Christ died and that he rose again. And we can know that 
is true. And if that is true, then we can know that these words of Jesus are true. When Jesus said in Matthew 19, with God, all things are possible. And I believe this, that Jesus wants to be involved in the deepest, most intimate places of your life. And I also believe that it's really, really possible. So if you're like the majority of Christians walking around this planet who struggle with faith, you have it, but you know you want more of it. You believe it, but you still struggle. Then we're just going to ask you to take a couple of steps with this this week. Here's what we're going to ask. First thing, will you just simply read through one of the Gospels? You just pick one. Will you pick one of the biographies of Jesus, one of those first few books, four books of the New Covenant, would you just pick one and just kind of read through it? And, and, and don't, don't, maybe don't read through the whole thing. Kind of do like what we were trying to teach you to do with 42 days with Jesus. Would you just read through maybe a paragraph a day? Just begin working your way through. You won't get through it in a week, but just begin the process. Just a paragraph a day. Just be, begin taking in that biography of Jesus. Just begin reading and learning and growing. And remember this, it, this is not a made-up spiritual story. You're reading a biography. You're reading history. These things actually happen. What you're reading is a historical account of the life of Christ. You're reading what they actually saw, what they actually witnessed. And so, while we have four Gospels written from different personalities, different perspectives, they've included different things and different parts of the accounts, the ones that are even similar, there's different parts in there. As you're reading through that, they all point and they all converge on this very important thing. And here it is, that Jesus was arrested, that he was tortured, that he was crucified, that he was buried, and, and days later he rose again. They all converge on that. And it is that single belief that makes everything else that we teach and that we believe the truth, and it makes it relevant for today. But don't forget, after you read, after you bring in the Word, then we need to do something with it. So here's what we're going to ask you to do next. Would you write down at least one action step. After you read that paragraph, would you just write down an action step? Here's something I can do today. Here's something I can think about today. Here's something I can dwell on today. Here's something I can do today. So don't stop with just knowledge, with bringing it in, but would you actually turn it into some kind of action step for the day? Make what you're learning become a part of what you're living. So to be clear, we're just simply asking you two things. Would you begin reading through one of the biographies of Jesus about a paragraph at a time? And as you read along today, would you then say, okay, here's something I can do. Here's something I can think about or dwell on today. Here's something, an action that I could take. And just write it down and do that. Those are the next steps for today. So if time go with faith or... You find yourself vacillating from time to time with what you believe. We want you to know that's okay because 
Authentic faith is simply the evidence of things unseen because of the things that are seen. So, this week, would you join me? Let's get into Scripture and let's read from the eyewitnesses what they saw and what they experienced. And then, let's do something with that. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much that we don't have to have a blind faith. Thank you so much that not only have you given us Scripture, not only have you given us so many examples in Scripture of how you are involved in lives and how you love lives and how you intercede in lives, but God, you have given us, you have given us lives around us today. Right here, the church in Malvern. You have given us today people whose lives are different. People who have changed lives. And God, as best we can, we're going to ask you to help us to look at even those lives and say, if you can make a difference for them, that Jesus, you can make a difference for us. And it's in your name that we ask these things. In your name, Jesus, we pray.